The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right. In our study through John, two weeks ago we were looking at, we started the conversation, the study with uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. And I made comment that when he came, he said, look, we know you're God because of all these things that you're doing. And before he could ever say anything, Jesus just jumps into a train of thought that about the heavenly. You're seeing what you see. And the thing that I've learned to, I've just really come to appreciate is, is this whole conversation because Nicodemus is, you know, there's, there's lots of things out there. He came because, uh, you know, it was at night. He, did, he was afraid of what all the rest would think about him. But nevertheless, he did go. He did go to Jesus. And I said that he probably had this list of questions that he wanted to ask Jesus. And what we find is in his coming is that he sees kind of the heart of Nicodemus. It's a heart of humility. And he is wanting and trying to help Nicodemus understand the difference between the earthly and the heavenly, but also the, the, the connection of the earthly and heavenly. So there are earthly realities and there are heavenly realities. And again, I said it uh, at the start, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot more going on than what we see. You know, I've made this comment before. My understanding of the scriptures is that there, when we gather together in assemblies like this, there are angels that look on. So if you could pause for a moment and begin to think about that and think about the reality of that. Okay, I can't see, I don't see any angels, but the scriptures tell us the things that go on in the assembly of believers, even in our own lives. There's so many times we encounter things that we, we just see one side of it, but there is another side of it that needs to be seen or should be acknowledged. So even in our lives, when we're struggling through life and difficulties of life, we, we have our perspective about it. It could be, uh, you name it, uh, the, whatever the number of things there are. And God is going, there is a different vantage point that you need to see from. See, we see in this our limited human capacity, and God goes, wow, there is an eternal perspective that we need to have. And I think that uh, Nicodemus, you know, we could be down on him, but from a little boy, he was raised up. He had a particular learning that he was in and he was taught as a young man day after day, year after year, and then entering into priesthood, he was trained and he was taught to fulfill a role and he, he had this perspective and Jesus just comes in and helps him see more than what he knew. And so we ended up, uh, last week we, I jumped into Colossians chapter 1 because in that reading, Paul was praying for those the church in Coloss to have his greatest desire for them was so that they would have spiritual insight. 
insight into spiritual realities, into spiritual things, that that would be something that would be kind of a filter. And I think for us, we need that as well. You know, we're walking through life, and again, no matter what the situation is, we need to have this spiritual filter in our life. So if we're facing whatever it is, we need to know that we don't face it alone. We have someone who is with us, someone who is in us, to help us through whatever it is, to help us. Uh, I had a friend of mine that I talked to for, it was probably two years. Uh, I kept trying to tell him, look at Kevin, uh, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah, I, I can't do that. It's, it's not in me. And I used to tell him all the time, I say, let me ask you this question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Really, from your heart, have you done that? Yes. Well, then it's in you. Now, let me just say this right now. I don't know what you're struggling with right now, but it doesn't really matter what it is. Because I can tell you that there is victory in your life because of who is in your life. So I'll never forget, two years later, he sat with me and he goes, I get it. And see, the getting of it was just him acknowledging, accepting the reality and asking for the grace of God in his life to do what God has asked him to do. It was, it was, it was just a simple turn and step for him to be able to receive and be able to practice. You have people say, well, that's just how I am. I'm Irish, so I'm a fighter. I'm redheaded, so I got a hot temper. I'm going, you're born again, so you have the mind of Christ, and you should have the temperament of Christ in your life. Well, I don't. Well, let me just say that God is in your life to help you in those things. So we just got to keep turning to him and giving them to him. So anyway, all that, I don't know why God in there, somebody in here needed to hear it. Maybe when I listen to this uh, on Monday, it will be for me. So we ended up in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus helping Nicodemus about uh, helping him see the accounting of the serpent in the wilderness that was put on the pole, this earthly event that took place, this earth reality, to what would occur with Jesus on the cross, this thing that would be an earthly event but would have a heavenly reality to it. So Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that those who looked upon it would receive physical healing from God and would not die. And I made comment that this was the last miracle before they entered into the promised land. So in that, they would look to the serpent on the pole, they would receive their healing, and it wouldn't be very much longer they would be able to enter in, cross the Jordan River, enter into the land that God had promised them. And he was telling, he was connecting a, a, an earthly to a heavenly, and he goes on to say to him, he says, you know, just as the serpent was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, which indicates that Jesus would be lifted up on a pole, the cross. He would die, and in his dying, given his life, if you were to look for to him, you would receive also healing. But it wasn't just a physical healing. It, would, it was a spiritual healing. It would be a healing from the sickness of sin in your life. And you also would be able to enter into what God had promised you, had promised humanity, and we know that that was eternal life. So, I mean, it's just a, this 
interesting analogy. And throughout the scriptures, we have so many foreshadows where there was really just a... I've said it a lot that the Old Testament was like this big object lesson. So when you can see all... That's why this is why it's so important to read through the entirety of scripture. If you've never done it, get a reading plan that goes from... Genesis to Revelations are like what we're doing. At least goes through the Old Testament, uh, a New Testament, and Psalms and Proverbs, and then read through the whole of the Old Testament, and you'll go, "Oh my goodness, that's Jesus. That is that is a picture of what Jesus was going to do." And we know that the tabernacle and all the things that took place were all of those they were foreshadowings, and so. This miracle of Jesus on the cross, this symbol of death becomes a symbol of life. So we have what happened then. Back in the Old Testament, Jesus helping Nicodemus see the reality of that. The heavenly reality and the earthly realities. So before I jump into the next one, next thought here. Do you have anybody got any thoughts about that? Anything that I've said so far? causing the death and then how the scripture says he who knew no sin became sin so when he was lifted up on the cross he became what was killing us he became that sin exactly this never put that together before it's often the way that i would approach god is i would know it in my head uh, but i didn't practice it it's like that faith and works thing. Well, I believe, but did I believe? Because I wasn't practicing it. So whether it's loving your neighbor, and the, the person that helped me understand loving my neighbor was a six-year-old girl who uh, uh, they were at our house. Uh, it was a poor family, and we were helping them. We'd bought some groceries, and they'd come to the house to pick them up. It was winter. Uh, and they came while I was scooping my driveway and uh, sidewalk. And so I got all done, and uh, I said, oh, I'm just finished. And the little girl goes, well, their yard, their sidewalk needs scooped. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, but they can do it. They said, well, if you love them, you would scoop their... A six-year-old. I just went... Oh, man, out of the mouth of babes. You know, the same thing, loving your wife. Uh, how do you do that? Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, here, let me, do, let me do Tim, because you're right there scratching your beard. And I've been picking on you lately. So, so how does she, how, 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 do you, how can you display love to her, love that she needs? What, what are the things that you know she needs to feel loved? Just one or two. I'm not going to put you on the spot much. She's helping him. <laughs> no, I said, but he goes, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I go, but you are. He, but you are. <laughs> you know, simple. They're simple. They're not complicated. No, they're not. They're, they're, she loves, you know, to, when you do things for her, she okay. loves that. She not to say that I am the greatest guy who does all those things, but I'm aware of those things. But <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I agree that you, you need some. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay, so JD, how, how, does, how do you express love to Nini that you know she needs? What, what, what is just one thing that you do for her that whether you feel like doing it, want to do it or not, you know that she needs and so you do? Just one thing. Well, you said I, it's something that I do. I'm not good at it. And actually, the last 24 hours, in particular, I've been thinking a lot about this. But she's, you know, the five love languages. She's a gifts girl. She likes gifts. It's one of the things. And um, that's my weakest area. So it's been very difficult for me. Okay, so yeah. your love language, what, what, how do you feel loved from her? A tie between um, spending time, physical touch, and probably words, okay. which is her weakest. Okay, so here, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. So two of you already so far have said, I'm not doing very good at this, so let me just say this. Shape up. All right. <laughs> Don't stop. Get your said. act together yeah. and do it. But you receive it, so how it makes you feel, and... Does she always feel like looking at you and going, you are an amazing individual? No. And I just, I love you. Does she always feel like that? Probably not. She practices, she, she pra she practices it better. Isn't that good? All right, Paul, you got one? No, I don't have one. No, I don't have what? one. <laughs> Wait a second. 54 years. Listen, if you're over 65, you do not have to answer these. Uh, just uh, allowing her to go down the road somewhere in the cars every day. <laughs> so, you know, the reality, again, is it is the practicing of it. And I don't know how I even got here because it's way off base. How did I ever get out down this road? We must have needed it this morning. We must have needed it. Oh, or I did. <laughs> I'm going to find out tomorrow this was all for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I really don't have any idea how I got there. All right. Well, let's get back to John. Uh, so anyway, uh, we finish up John chapter 3, verse 14. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so this could occur. The Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so this can occur. And so I love that because he says he must be so that. And we talked about this last week, the, the so that's. So many times through Scripture, the Apostle Paul or whoever is writing, they're, saying, they're writing, they're going, this has happened so that this can happen. And so... He says, so that, verse 15, whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, might have everlasting life. So this so that is it really expressing the purpose, the reason that the Son of Man was lifted up was so that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. Now for Nicodemus, when he's hearing this, this word whosoever would have caught his attention because this whoever just kind of like flings open the door to, to, to whomever, to Jew or Gentile. Now, Nicodemus' mind, 
Salvation was for who? It was for the Jew. See, the Jew is the one that would enter into this everlasting life. Now, Nicodemus, in his mind, this everlasting life would be in a phrase known as the life of the age to come, which was the messianic age, when Messiah would come and he would destroy all of God's enemies and establish them in the kingdom, which would be a kingdom that would have no end. But Jesus is saying, no, you got this wrong, uh, Nicodemus. Uh, The Son of Man coming and what God has been up to all along has not just been for the Jew. It's been for the world. And so, this uh, life that uh, would come would be made possible through the Son of Man and the act of His being lifted up on the cross, which at that point in time, Nicodemus had no idea what that looked like. But I'm sure when Jesus was raised on the cross and He died on the cross, I'm sure Nicodemus was there and I'm sure all of a sudden it was just the aha moment of, oh, this is what that was all about. And, and think about it in our own life. How many times do we have the aha moments in our own life where we have uh, read and read and all of a sudden you go, it's like you see it. It just becomes evident. Oh, and the Holy Spirit just makes you aware of a truth. I love that about God. So looking to the silk serpent on the pole made it possible for all who looked on it would receive forgiveness for their disobedience, healing from God, which allowed them entrance into what God had promised. And at that point in time, it was the land of Canaan. Now here, looking to Jesus, what was Nicodemus said would come, uh, Jesus would make it possible. So he's connecting the Son of Man, what he was going to do to the life that would come. Make it possible for those who look to him would receive their forgiveness from their disobedience, from their sin, and would be able to receive what God had promised. And that was, Jesus told them, everlasting life. Any thoughts about any of that? Okay, 3.16. So, what I've been really enjoying as I'm looking through this uh, conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is Jesus just, he keeps doing this. He just keeps opening it up and opening it up and opening it up and opening it up. He's really wanting Nicodemus to understand what he's saying to him, which is so good for me because two, two ways. For me as a believer, I know that he really wants me to understand. And so as I keep asking questions, he keeps helping me see. Do, do I ask a particular question and immediately he answers me in such a way that I see it very clearly? No, sometimes that's more of a process. But it's also encouraging to me for those of those who have not yet believed when I share the gospel of Jesus. And they, they have this, they really have an earnestness. They're in a struggle. What I love about that is I know that God's already involved in their life and in the process of drawing them. And I know that his heart for them is just like everyone else. He, like this with Nicodemus. He just keeps opening it up, opening it up, and opening it up. 
So a lot of us come from different backgrounds. We are raised a lot of different ways to believe particular things, and all of a sudden we're faced with the reality of the gospel. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was raised a Jew among Jew, and now he's faced with a reality of the gospel that he did not know and did not understand. Here was his hurt. Here was his earthly life, but here was the heaven reality about what God's intention was. And he's being introduced to it. And God is just continuing to open it up to him. So I love that. So he goes on to push this a little bit further. Uh, John 3.16, probably the most, probably the most known verse in the whole world. Throughout the whole world, throughout whole t- all of time, I think, is John 3.16. He's telling Nicodemus, look at, for God so loved the world. So uh, now, if you think about, he just got done saying, whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And Nicodemus's mind is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Jews. Salvation is for the Jews. And, J- and Jesus is saying that's not so. See, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he's saying, look, here's the intended purpose of God. Here's the, here's the, here's the heart of God. Here's the motive of God in what he is doing, making rescue from sin and finding eternal life possible for those who believe in the Son. And the reason, so that's the reason, but the, his heart in it is that he loved. So it says that God so loved, and we talked about this before, it means to this extent. You know, it doesn't say God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's not how that reads. God so loved. So it's really putting some emphasis on this. God loved the world to this extent. So another way it means God loved to this degree. Or in this way. Or to the end that. So how did God do that? Well, he did it through the giving of his only begotten son. His one and only son. Well, I'm a son of God. No, uh-uh, unique. Jesus was the only one who was begotten of the Father. Jesus was the only one who lived a sinless life. He was the one born of a virgin. So uniqueness here. And so pushing uh, a little further, he's telling Nicodemus that, look, God is going to, I mean, he did before, but God is going to demonstrate his love. And we see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, for God demonstrated his love, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I like this because this word, uh, uh, some of your translations say commendeth. Are you okay with demonstrated, Keith? I'm just kidding. <laughs> this word commendeth is interesting because it means to place together. So I, I know that sometimes words are words, but in my mind, uh, here in Romans 5, 8, and what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he's going, look, God loved the world to this extent 
that he gave his son. So we see the heart of God in the two things. His love by giving us his son. He's, he commended his love. He placed together his love with his giving of his son. Those things together help us see the heart of the Father toward humanity. And we see that. Where do we, what, where's the foreshadowing of that that we see? Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, Isaac offering up his son, this foreshadowing of the father giving the son. Okay, so, uh, let's see. So God so loved the world. Now, here's something that's fun. Uh, ethnically speaking, there are two tribes. If you could kind of generalize it. There are the Jews, and there are the not-Jews. There are the Jews, and there are the not-Jews. So there's not black, gray, and white. There's black and white. There's not light, shadow, and darkness. There is light and darkness. And so here, God is telling Nicodemus, look, this salvation was not just for you Jews, but it was for, because to the Jew, every other people, tribe, nation, language, and tongue were all thrown into one thing, Gentile. So, He's pushing Nicodemus to understand a little bit greater. Undoubtedly, this is just... I'm sure Nicodemus' mind is racing and he's kind of... Just like for you, when, you people, when someone first started talking to you about Christ. Maybe you were raised, uh, whatever denomination, maybe you were raised Catholic. And they begin to tell you, look, let me tell you some truths. And all of a sudden, they're saying things that you're going, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, wait, wait. I thought that, and I thought that, and they're, ta- they're sharing with you the gospel. And it's, it's just, it's conflicting to you because you were always raised to believe this. Nicodemus was always raised to believe a particular thing. So I'm sure this is just Nicodemus, it's rocking Nicodemus's worldview. So Nicodemus, again, he embraced that rescue was for the Jew, But Jesus said, rescue? Well, that was for the world. And so Jesus makes eternal life possible, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentiles. And so often we can understand in this one statement, John 3, 16, it just really sums up the redemptive purpose of Christ for the human race. So what's one of them? Uh, The gospel in a verse. The gospel in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, something that we need to come to understanding of is Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there's one way you're going to get there. And it's faith. Faith alone. And that is such a, a, a key factor in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's such a key factor in Christianity because 
The key is faith. It is through faith. It is, not it is not about our works, about our doing. It is about our faith placed in Jesus Christ. That is, that is the key point. So what, on what basis do we understand that man is declared right before God? It is by our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And let me just say that, let me just say that belief in Christ is like shorthand for believing everything about him, that he was fully man, fully God, that he was without sin, that he died on the cross as our substitute for our sins, that God showed that he was satisfied with his sins offering by raising him from the dead. So this believing in him encompasses a lot. And, and for most of us, maybe some, may, I know for me, it, it just came down to one little thing. I first believe this, because someone told me, listen, you need, to, you need to ask Jesus, come into your life, forgive you of your sins. That's what you need, because sin is separating you from God. So that, that was the only thing I knew. But as I began to learn, I learned more what that little tidbit of truth, how big it was. So in the same way here, this little, this little verse of John 3.16 is, it, it's, like the, it's, like the, uh, it's like the microcosm of the whole of Scripture. We get to see, because even in the Old Testament, we saw the love of God displayed toward humanity and His long-suffering, His patience, and His rescue. But we see its fulfillment in Christ and all that we receive from that fulfillment in Christ. And then again, I think uh, Keith brought up the idea uh, that this belief is in the present tense, indicating a continual belief. And here's what I don't want us to misunderstand. This doesn't, mean, this doesn't ever boil down to our works. Our, so it, it, it is not that um, uh, we think we are saved by our continuing to believe as, it, as if it were a notorious work from us. Because it is always that we believe because He continues to help us in our belief. He keeps helping us see. So it's this work of God in our life. So what's uh, the verse say? Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. It's the one I quote all the time, Philippians 2.13. For it is Christ in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what He wanted you to do, what He wants you to do. So this work in us, how often is it that we try, to, we try to do stuff to prove and what we need to do is we need to, yes, we need to do works, but we need to allow the Spirit of God to enable us to do the things He's asking of us. So I just don't go out and just do work so that I can say, I've checked them all off. My work is a product of my faith, the Spirit of God nudging me toward Him. Any thoughts about that? I've got two quick ones. I thought about, you know how it talks about faith and works together? Uh-huh. But you know also another cool thing, sitting there looking at 3.16, love also expressly works. In other words, you can tell your wife you love her, but you show people that you love her. And God showing how much he loved us by sending his son, then of course Jesus died on the cross, showing how much he loved us by what he did for us. So, I mean, faith, true faith has works, right? You can see that. But true love has action also. 
Mm, okay. You know, saying you love somebody but never showing it, do you really love them? So, Sherry, how does Keith... Here, take the mic. Yeah. How does Keith show he loves you? How does Keith show he loves By listening to me. Okay. He turns everything... He had a bad habit of playing with the phone or the TV and um, talking, and he does not. <laughs> so, so last now, week, anyway. <laughs> so now he takes a point to turns his phone off, turns the TV off, and looks at me, and we can have an open conversation and talk about what That's we good. need to discuss. <laughs> and I'm still trying not to solve all her problems because I realize it's not for me to solve them. I just have to listen to them. So. Right. Step one and step two in manhood, right? <laughs> Someone else? Uh, JD? As you talked about these truths over time exploding, like the love of God and, you know, in John three sixteen, and how that keeps opening up. I had a, a thought, I, I think is from his spirit, but you know, truth, um, my brain is always trying to catch up with the truth, like as these things get revealed. And uh, every once in a while, it seems to, but what I think actually happened as part of Revelation today is that truth overtakes my brain. But um, the reality of that is, while the gospel should live in my brain, it doesn't want to reside just there. It's the other parts. You know, my spirit, my soul, my actions, these truths should overtake. Mm. And I think that's the parallel scripture calls us to with the Holy Spirit in us. You know, as we surrender to these things, these truths overtake our lives and it's Christ in us. It's just an amazing reality. All right, let's look at, did you have something, Doug? I was just going to say that, you know, we talked about the love of God for God so loved the world. And we get transformed into the love of God that we have in ourselves, right, for others. And in Galatians 5, somebody talked about Galatians earlier. Galatians 5 talks about, for all of the law is captured in this, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, God's aim was always toward our right. love toward So again, others. I think that whole Christ reset of, this is what you think, but this is the reality. This is what was meant to be from the beginning. Mm. That's good. Let's look at just one more truth in this, uh, verse 16. And he says this, it says, Whoever believes in him will not perish. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is conditional here. This promise is conditioned on whether or not one believes in God's only begotten Son. Now, perish doesn't mean they're going to be annihilated, but I love the, I love the term. Because it means this. It means to... So, uh, it, it, it has this idea of perish means will be brought to ruin. It is to cease to have the opportunity to fulfill the purpose for which one was created, which ultimately was to glorify God. So he's saying, look, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not come to ruin. But they would find what God wanted them to find, and that is life in him, eternal life in him. That was God's intended purpose.
I mean, we know that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the fact that God allows sinners to perish, so often people say, well, then God doesn't love because He allows this. And it's interesting to me uh, because this really comes down to choice. This is really tricky to get um, when you're sharing uh, the gospel with somebody, this is really tricky because most people's minds, a matter of fact, our world's mind, they, they perceive Jesus and judgment more than they perceive the love of God. And I, why that is, I guess, could be understood in the reality is when light shines on somebody, darkness is revealed. And who wants darkness to be revealed in their life? When you start sharing the gospel with someone, and when you're, and sometimes when you're just around people, when you're around relatives, they don't even like you to be around because they don't like it because you're there, and because you're there, there's just certain things they don't do, can't do, or feel bad if they do. And it's really, for them, it's, it's, it's kind of, crimping their style. It's restrictive on them. And, but the gospel is not a gospel that says, the gospel does not say, for God, let's see, uh, how can I put this? The gospel isn't about you going to hell. It, the gospel is not, not about you being eternally separated from God. Because we know the gospel is what news? It's, it's good news. So, Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus see the heart of God wasn't toward judgment. The heart of God was toward salvation. The heart of God was only good. The heart of God was toward rescue. And yet at the same time, the gospel has two sides. Right? It's got the good news. But it's got the news on the other side that says, here's the good news. If you don't accept the good news, here's the other side of the coin. And the good news is... The bad news is that there is this separation that will occur. So God has provided forgiveness of sin and eternal life for all those who believe in Jesus so that they don't come into ruin, so that they avoid the ruin of sin and find the intended purpose of God for their life. And so we have this strong contrast in in what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. We have the strong contrast in the gospel. The world around us needs to hear the life side of the message, the God life side of the message. Uh, you know, you've ever, you've ever heard the, the term, they're, they're a hellfire and brimstone type of preacher. And, uh, well, <clears throat> you kind of catch more flies with honey. It's not to say that that isn't there, because when I get in conversations with people, they go, well, what if I don't believe? Well, I don't know. Not perish. Life with God. Blessings of God. Run over here. Ruin. Life separated. Eternal damnation. Choice. And Jesus' mere coming displayed it. Displayed the choice. 
light came into the world, and when light came in the world, the darkness was exposed. And we're going to get into it next week, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So he has come to bring life. Simple verse, powerful. For over 2,000 years, I wonder how many, I wonder how this verse has impacted people's lives just hearing the verse. Just hearing that little verse. Let me close with this short story. I think I've shared it here before, but uh, we were doing this uh, outreach, and uh, it was with Hershey bars. And on the front of the Hershey bar, it said, He loves you. It said, He, a heart, and then you. And there was this guy, uh, there was this lady that came to our church, and uh, her husband was uh, in a wheelchair. And uh, he had gotten hurt at work or something. He's like bored stiff, and whatever reason, he happens to come to church uh, during the time I'm promoting this whole thing. And we've got like, I don't know, two or 3,000 candy bars that we're going to wrap these wrappers around that says he loves you. Guy's name was Tim. And so she just volunteered. I walked through the congregation at the end of a service, and she just volunteered her husband to wrap the candy bars, right? So he's like on the spot. How's he going to say no? Well, I guess he could have, but he didn't. So I remember taking over like 10 cases of Hershey bar. I don't know how many was in each one, but about 10, not the 36 bars, but the eight. 36 bars and 10 cases, a lot of them. Took him over there. He called me about four or five days later and said, hey, I'm done with those. I said, oh, I got some more. You want some more? And it was like, uh, okay. So I picked those up, took over some more cases, put them in. He called me. He said, hey, I'm done with the bars. Um, could you come pick them up? And when you do, I'd like to talk. Okay. He said uh, to me, and I, I can't, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He just said, uh, he said, I don't know what one it was, maybe it was number 1500. All of a sudden, it registered, the front of the cover registered, he loves you. And he said, I can't, I, I don't know what's going on, but in a, in a moment, a voice just spoke into my heart. And I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to do with that. And so I was able to very simply share the gospel with him. And in that moment, he had this culmination of an encounter. And I say that because he had the encounter and God already revealed who he was and that he loved him. But that culmination of an encounter with him. And he received Christ. Just the the simpleness of that phrase, how it captured and transformed an individual. And I'm telling you today that the power, that is the power of the gospel right there. So as we are displaying it to the world around us, proclaiming it to the world around us, it has an effect in people's lives.